Welcome to Blended by McGraw-Hill. Welcome to Blended. I'm your host, Wes Hallam, and today I'm delighted to be joined by Dr. Lizzie Rushton, an Associate Professor at the University College London, and Dr. Emma Towers, a Lecturer in Education Policy at King's College London. Um, they're both um, authors on a new title, Becoming a Teacher, Issues in Secondary Education, which is now going into its sixth edition. And today we're going to be having a chat about how uh, how education at a secondary level can influence and inform what we do at a higher education level as well. So Emma and Lizzie, welcome. Thank you very much for, for joining me today. Thanks, Wes. It's great to be with you. Thanks for having us. Oh, brilliant. So let's get started. Um, one of the one of the questions I always like to ask on this podcast is the modern student. Um, we know that the the type of student, the behaviours of students have changed quite a lot, particularly in the last five years with, with, with the pandemic and with all of the change in digital education that's come forward. So what initially do you guys think the modern student is? What do they need? And how does the modern teacher adapt to that? That's a good question, Wes. I mean, if I go first, Emma, and then you can always... Uh, add and um, improve what I say. No, I think um, the modern student, it's difficult to come up with one outline of a modern student because I think there are lots of different ways of being a student. That's part of what it is to be a student in the modern in modern times. Maybe in the past there were, you know, there was a particular idea of what being a student is. And actually now we're really lucky that there are many, many different ways to be a student and to to bring those different experiences um, at different stages to student life. Um, I think in terms of being a student teacher, um, what's been really interesting, um, both through the pandemic and beyond, is the way that um, digital technologies have become so front and centre to um, student life. And with the teachers that we worked with during the pandemic, one of the um, interesting things was the way these student teachers in schools were really supporting the schools and their, and their departments when they were on placement in bringing in some of the um, uh, digital, digital pedagogies um, very rapidly in response to the pandemic. Um, and that gave them a different way of being as a student. They had a different role. They were they were supporting and enabling other more experienced teachers in that particular way, which I think was really um, uh, beneficial and fulfilling and something that would be nice to, to kind of retain and keep in our thinking about um, the capacity and capabilities of students going forward. Yeah, and it, it's really interesting as well, thinking about um, student teachers um, today, when we look at the actual teaching profession, and just recently, I think it's just today, a report came out from the NFER to show that teacher vacancies in schools have virtually doubled since before um, COVID. So we do have a teacher retention, a teacher recruitment and retention crisis. I mean, it has been ongoing for a number of years. But I think it's important when we're thinking about student teachers that we do bear that in mind because, you know, we're, which we're, we're educating these students, we're, we're kind of giving them the tools to enter this profession that will be particularly challenging for them. 
Um, and it's an ever-changing, as kind of Lizzie has said, it's an ever-changing uh, landscape. It's an ever-changing um, context in which they're going into. So it's kind of equipping the students with the right tools, the emotional resilience, as well as all the other kind of skills that are so important um, to be a teacher and, to, and certainly to be a beginning teacher in those early years. Um, so those are the things that I think one has to really think about in terms of the modern student, who the student teacher is today. And that in a, invariably affects the teacher educator as well. So, you know, we're having to kind of change and adapt to new circumstances. And as Lizzie said, since the pandemic, you know, the, the change in how we use technology for, for learning, for pedagogy. I mean, it has changed so much and we're really having to kind of develop our own kind of skills and understanding of how this new post-pandemic world uh, or how to operate, how to 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 teach the these students in this new in this new environment, in this new context. So I feel at the moment there's quite a lot of change happening um, and let's not forget the, as I kind of alluded to earlier, the, the emotional dimension, um, the very important emotional dimension of teachers work and for student teachers and for teacher educators too. And we really, you know, have to keep a, a very close eye on that because that's one of the key key reasons why we are losing teachers in the profession so um there's lots to think about and there's lots to unpack that I'm sure we just don't have time for at the moment Wes to go into <laughs> but maybe another time oh well I'm, I'm always happy to get people pe people back on here to deep dive into things it's um it's a fascinating area um I think you're both right there you know the the it's a fairly facetious question of what is the modern student because you're right they're all very they're, they all are very different and and they do have a really wide variety of needs um based on their individual circumstances and also the professions that they're going into you know you're obviously very focused on on teacher educators and 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 students who are looking to become teachers but we see that really diverse mix of needs across all disciplines and all fields. I'm going to ask you a, a fairly difficult question here. Um, one of the one of the criticisms that we get uh, sometimes from from educators is that students often aren't quite sure what they want and that this modern student and the way that we educate them seems to change and vary very, very quickly. And particularly sort of at kind of, so your experience kind of looking in this secondary field and area where it's a little bit more regimented and you see all this change happening, which do you think drives more change? Is it the student requirements or, or teacher driven change? Which, which do you sort of is the tail wagging the dog or is the dog wagging the tail on this one? What do you what do you think takes more is more of a driver for that change? I mean, I think Emma would be really better placed to talk about this, given her expertise in policy. But I think policy is really driving, uh, certainly in schools, um, the experience that teachers and students have. I think um, the teachers that you know we work with would always want to develop um, opportunities and lessons and, and learning um, that really um, speaks to the needs of the, of the students and the communities that they work. And that's one of the... Um, really inspiring things about working in teacher education is, is is being able to work across so many different schools and and communities and see people at the beginning of the profession right from the first day wanting to make that positive difference in the lives of young people and the communities 
but um i think in england um at the moment it's it the restrictions are coming very much from the policy context um i don't know if you want to say a bit more about that yeah i mean you know it's it's a really interesting question actually and thinking of it in kind of policy terms is also equally fascinating because in some ways teachers students are kind of um contained or um I'm, I loathe to use the word hamstrung, but can be hamstrung by certain policies. And there are certain things that one has to do. And we know, for instance, in schools um, and in higher education universities, we're very much kind of shaped by, um, you know, accountability uh, demands and particular policies that, um, you know, really kind of drive uh, outcomes. It, be it becomes very outcomes based. Um, and so these are all things that we have to we have to work with. We have to work within this framework um, whilst uh, finding a way navigating these policies to be the teachers, be the students that we want to be um, in in this world, you know, in this post pandemic world. So it, it's it's a tricky situation. It's a, it's a it is quite a complex um, area to navigate in that sense. But having said that, there are equally some really great, wonderful policies that have come out um, more recently, more initiatives that actually um, do allow students and teachers to realize um, different ways of working and, and give them the tools and the support that they need to do that so i'm thinking for example things like around well-being so in higher education now we have a much much greater focus on student well-being um, and there are specific policies that institutions and higher education institutions have um, put in place and support networks that put in place to support all students and teachers i should say and lecturers in higher education to support them in this way so um, the the policy question it's it's it is a highly complex one so we can be constrained by certain policies especially some of the kind of bigger macro policies the ongoing ones but also there there are some really positive things in there as well that actually help uh, change institutions um, and really respond to students needs and and teachers needs as well. And if I might, I might draw on an example that I think really illustrates that point um, that you've made so well there, Emma, about um, climate change and sustainability education. You know, we're seeing so many young people across the world um, advocating for um, climate change education that better equips them to deal with the uncertainties um, about climate change. We've seen the IPCC report come out this week, you know, underlining the urgent need for action. Um, uh, again, um, so we, we know those messages are there and young people have heard them and they are very clear in what they would what they want to receive in terms of education. And I think um, even in some contexts in England where perhaps a sustainability and climate change education isn't given the prominence that I as a as a, a researcher would like to see. Um, actually, we also know that there are schools up and down the country um, with teachers and young people working together to um, include sustainability and climate change education in 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 the current context, whether that's through extracurricular programs and um, climate change focused clubs, whether that's through um, uh, using kind of curriculum opportunities like the extended project qualification or other um, BTEC opportunities where you can um, um, shape and foreground climate change and sustainability. So I think. Um, there, there are opportunities. I think the, the, what's problematic about that, though, is that then 
climate change and sustainability education in this example isn't always a universal um, uh, a right and isn't universally available. It can sometimes be a little bit serendipitous that you have a teacher in your school who's really passionate and gives up their time and expertise. And so I think that's really where policy is so important that if we really think that things are, are so important for young people, whether that's thinking about well-being um, in higher education context, whether that's climate change, sustainability, we really need to have um, that policy enabling environment that means it is, it's something that's accessible for all, not because of you're lucky about which particular school that you go to. I think you're absolutely right on that one, and and I will be picking picking up on the on the sustainability part a, a little bit later because it's definitely something that that I want to explore. But you're right, the the policies that are in place um, even at school level at higher education level have such a huge impact um, on on what's able to happen, what's possible. Um, but I wanted to pick up actually on what you were saying there about particularly at a, at a school level that the focus is it seems to be around the student need and about what they actually need in terms of well-being in terms of everything else their climate education that they are more students are more able to voice what they what they want and what they need um now we always have a challenge in the transition from from secondary education into into higher education, there's always a bit of a of a paradigm shift for for students when they move into that environment. Do you think there are things that within the higher education framework that educators and instructors can learn from that model that they have in in the secondary school education to to better meet the needs of the student? Is there are there lessons that maybe these you know higher education academics are missing from the student experience because it seems to be very much school is done over there and once you get into university it's how the university does it and the university rules then apply do you think there are things that the higher ed could learn from from secondary to make that experience better for students i mean i think there are always opportunities to learn um from different contexts throughout education um, and i think one of the real affordances of um, choosing to become a teacher um, when you involve a higher education institute. Um, so, for example, through the, the PGC programme um, at King's or um, at UCL, you you have that partnership there between schools, between the higher education institution um, and that opportunity to, for, for communities of practice and mutual learning. So I very much, um, as a teacher educator, really value the opportunity to be in schools and to, to work with students on placements and to work with their mentors um, uh, in, in lots of different subjects to you know keep engaging with practice um, that's happening in the classroom and I think um, that's obviously crucial for education but I think there are other examples of, of really good uh, partnerships and collaborations in, in different disciplines and universities whether that's through um, access programs widening participation whether that's through um, some researchers and lecturers um, going to schools and doing um, presentations and lectures so I think yeah it's keeping those those um, the the boundaries between those contexts really porous and 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 seeing it very much as a as we're all part of this big community of education um and and really wanting to learn um, from those different contexts but i guess what are the limiting factors on that time resource um it's very very difficult to um uh you know for teachers in particular to come to universities in terms of the time and having to have someone cover their lessons and, and all of that kind of thing but it's equally difficult for us in higher education too um to be able to to to, to um 
and the opportunity to go into school. So I think, um, yeah, any way that we can continue to support those kind of collaborations and the communities of practice are really important. Yeah, and it's really interesting, isn't it, how we always look at education in terms of phases. So you have your early years, you've got primary, you have secondary, and then you've got higher education. When we should really be thinking of it as this is education, you you know, a, a child might start when they're at the age of three and they, they may go all the way, you know, through to completing their PhD. And that is that is the trajectory or that that's the span if you like thinking of it in the, in those ways rather than these kind of discrete phases i should say as well it's not just about higher edu um secondary education and what we can learn from secondary education in higher education i'm a primary school teacher by training myself and we can absolutely learn a lot from the primary school uh context as well and um, many of the principles apply to higher education as well even though the ages might be slightly different so um yeah and again that just goes back to my point of thinking about education as education that perhaps we should think of it more in those terms rather than these discrete phases i think you're absolutely right the so in my in my travels talking around with with different instructors particularly at sort of a, a year one phase there is this expectation that students arrive to university with a a predefined set of skills that we don't necessarily do any validation of. We don't necessarily check, does somebody know how to read properly? And I don't see, do they know how to read, but can you read a textbook? Because it's not that common to read textbooks anymore, but there's a, an expectation that, well, it's it's higher education, then it must, it, you know, it must be so, it must be done like this. And you see some really interesting examples of, as you said, with sort of the access pathways and different ways of doing it where, universities are actively engaging in that skill based learning approach of trying to make sure that people are prepared to get on to, to to engage with higher education but we don't necessarily afford that to our you know our general intake of of first year students which is it's always seemed a little bit bizarre to me anyway um but you are right that that flow through of 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 knowledge has to be kind of built on each time we can't necessarily have that complete separation because they are although they are different beasts it still is education at the end of the day um but no that's really interesting thank you thank you for that um i wanted to come back a little bit now to a relatively hot topic at the moment which is around sustainability education obviously we had the ipcc report coming out um the other was it this week i think it was um not overly glowing uh glowing reviews of our of our um success on that metric but you know we're seeing more and more requirements and requests for sustainability education to be brought into into the mainstream. Um, how do we do that? It's it's a we already see, particularly at higher education, there is a huge amount of content to get through, and quite often courses are designed in order to, you know, maximize the amount of content or topics that are covered in the 13 week or the or the you know whatever time period that we have and there often doesn't seem to be a huge amount of of wiggle room in that teaching schedule so is there a way that we can bring that sustainability education into that kind of main course delivery or do we need to, is it better to dedicate time to it what what do you think 
Yeah, that's a, that's a great question. I think I think to start with, I think there's still work to be done um, to really get universal kind of agreement on the, uh, the assertion that I would make that education is an absolutely critical part of achieving um, an environmentally just future for all. That education um, is not just a sustainability education is not only to be thought about and discussed in the field of education, but absolutely in the field of of um, policy making related to climate change and, and ecological crises so always going to unsurprisingly advocate for the role of education um, to achieve justice um, uh, in relation um, to that I think in terms of the university setting um, we've got some incredible examples up and down the country of ways that universities have taken on the sustainability um, kind of um, remit um, through very much the practices of universities. So it's not only learning about sustainability and, and the, the, you know, the theory, the concepts, the, the pedagogies of sustainability, but it's actually also about you know, walking the walk and thinking about the university estate as a key way of um, addressing sustainability challenges. And I know both King's College London, where Emma's based and UCLI I'm based, have, have huge efforts in that regard and um, I think we now have the you know sustainability rankings for universities although I'm not always sure that those kind of ways are, are always helpful but you know it's certainly part of the core part of a lot of universities mission and, and, and work um, in relation um, to, to their estates and their operations which is really important um, because it also provides an excellent learning opportunity um, for students so um, when I'm thinking about um, education sustainability, you want to make it as authentic and relevant um, as possible for, for students, whether they're in schools or universities. So, you know, that might involve collecting data around sustainability for a research project. And then and that could be you know, real meaningful data that can inform the practice of the university or the school. Um, and. Again, it's about sustainable education that really equips um, young people with the skills, the knowledge, the capabilities to act for the environment and to, to continue to um, uh, play their part in, in um, creating that environmentally just future. But with the caveat that I think some of the some of the rhetoric and the framing around um, sustainability education of late, particularly in relation to young people in school, is that it's their responsibility to solve this challenge. And actually, <laughs> young people have not created the context that we're in. It's actually those of us in generations above them, particularly those in leadership positions who, and, and us in the West, who, who have uh, certainly a global responsibility for the, the challenges that, that, that um, those who've contributed the least face in, in different parts of the world. So absolutely advocate for sustainability to be something that every young person engages with whatever their subject whatever their phase um, but done in a way that's um, relevant authentic has ideas of justice at their heart um, uh, so it doesn't become tokenistic um, or responsibilizing young people if that indeed is a word I like it I'm going to say it's a word anyway it's it's good um, Emma what what do you think uh, about that is there a is there a is there a split between this sort of what the university does as an institution to manage its sustainability and then how it educates people about sustainability? Is there is there going to be a push and pull there between those two? I mean, I think I think that's an interesting question. And I th when Lizzie was talking about, you know, how 
our universities like King's, for example, and UCL, how the estates and operations have really kind of risen to the challenge and they've changed. There's a lot of change within the structures to attend to um, these really important areas. So it becomes kind of commonplace then. So and we've noticed that. Well, I've certainly noticed that in the few years that I've been working in higher education. I mean, a, a complete change in the way that just even simple things like not having rubbish bins in your office and, you know, these kinds of things they might seem like small things but they become normalized and then people start to kind of internalize these issues so you know it goes without saying that this is what we do and actually that's actually a lot more important than perhaps um sometimes we we give credit to because when it becomes part of your daily life and your daily routine and your daily living then you know that's you know that you, you know you're making some headway there and and that's a really good form of education i mean that is that's all education isn't it but i think the other thing that's quite interesting is that often i feel and lizzie i don't know whether you agree with me here that we have um brilliant uh brilliant minds and wonderful people like lizzie who are at the forefront of this whole area of um of learning and of scholarship and that write brilliant wonderful papers that many of us read and you know really learn from ourselves but Sometimes I feel that there isn't the um, the expectation that others that perhaps are not engaged in that particular research, you know, that's not their department. So they're just going to leave that alone and focus on what it is that they're, you know, responsible for. And actually, we sh really should be thinking about these these subjects, these ideas of sustainability, really important and um, areas of living and life and you know all our lives it should it should permeate all areas of education we should be having um you know related like readings for example on our reading lists about social justice about education about education policy and this needs to be a lot more commonplace so then it really becomes embedded in our kind of daily discourse and and that's so important for educating all of us then and then perhaps then the onus is less on young people to have to educate their elders on the importance of um of climate um education and sustainability in that way but um i think we're getting there slowly but i think perhaps we still have a bit of a way to go i don't know what lizzie thinks about about that <laughs> yeah no I completely agree I think um we have a way to go and we don't have much time and um, without wanting to you know um provoke or promote any kind of um doom or, or anxiety you know we have to we have to travel hopefully we have to um um you know really really leverage education as this pathway to a more sustainable and just future and I, and I you know this is where I think social justice work that is very much embedded into um much of education particularly in higher education is so important but it needs to be transformed to, to always include environmental justice that having access to clean air clean water is absolutely Absolutely um, integral to justice. Um, it's not just a facet of it. Um, and I think there is, I agree with them, there's some work to do there um, in, in, in lots of different areas um, so that it becomes, you know, a foundational part of education in a similar way to um, 
I would perhaps argue student well-being is becoming in, in, in higher education setting or perhaps safeguarding in schools. You know, safeguarding in schools is everybody's responsibility. Yes, you have a safeguarding lead. You have people with designated responsibility, but it's absolutely every individual member of the community's responsibility to ensure every child is safe. And I think that should be something that we think through those kind of similar um, uh, kind of rhetoric in relation to climate change and sustainability. I think I think you're very right on that. Said I just wanted to pick up on on, on something that Emma said there about when we normalise uh, of, of standardising something and normalising it. I I a long time ago um, I was a student at, at Lancaster University and the big thing that they had was the 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 wind turbine. It was there. It's up on a hill, ginormous wind turbine, and the app that you went onto to go and get your course like resources your course your course pages the front page of that when you logged in told you how much power has the wind turbine generated today how much you know how much energy have we saved and so on and so forth and it's it's little things like that of bringing that sustainability piece front and center and just making it a normal part of of every day that that makes a big difference um that you know i still can go onto the app that's regrettably still on my phone um and i can go and see you know how much how much the uh how much the wind turbines generated this month um but it, it's kind of interesting what you said there lizzie about um you know when bringing things like safeguarding in or when we brought in well-being and 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 we we can tend sometimes i feel to to have a policy directive or a or, or a new thing that we're that we're looking at and it can become right we're going to put in going to put in some things in place for the right now because we've got to um and sometimes i don't feel like that's really motivated in the right way so for example um i used to do a lot of work with business schools and about two three years ago we had suddenly lots of requests for resources on sustainable fill in the blank business name so sustainable accounting sustainable business research sustainable whatever it was and when you started to some of them some of the instructors who come to talk to us really were motivated about bringing that kind of education into in, into their mainstream and having it be a you know normalized that we're talking about all of these things in the context of education but i do often get the sense that sometimes people are motivated because they've been told that they have to do something on sustainability um, i think of you know there's i think there's a deadline coming up in 2025 around edi for example about diversity in reading lists and things like that and lots of people are scrabbling around to try and diversify a reading list which is great but i'm not necessarily sure that everybody is motivated because they want to see a diverse reading list they've been told that they've got to do it and I'm always a little bit concerned about when it comes to sustainability, that for some people, it is a tokenistic thing that they've been told that they need to do. And the way you're sort of talking about it with um, kind of this university policy level, and there's 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 what is the university looking to do to to drive those things? What do you think an individual can do if they if they want to bring more of that sustainability education into their day to day? Is it is it something that's going to take them a, a, a long time to go out and research? You know, the 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 time pressures on instructors are quite quite robust. Or are there easy places for them to go and find to find that sort of help and support that they could bring into teaching accounting in a sustainable way, for example? 
Yeah, that's a really good point. And I think um, with all of these things, when there's a kind of imperative, an external imperative, it also needs to be coupled with the resource and the the, the opportunity to meaningfully learn and hopefully do that as part of a community. And I think um, in all of the, those issues that you've raised, whether it's um, issues around um, EDI or sustainability, you know, if we can be part of a community of practice where we learn from diverse perspectives, voices, experiences, that's always going to be more meaningful than anything, any kind of tick box that's, um, you know, given to you by um, your boss. And that's never, that's ne that's not education. That's fulfilling accountability. Um, and, and if we really want meaningful education, that means resource. And I think if we think about the school setting in relation to climate change and sustainability as an example, there are some teachers in some subjects and some age phases that are um, very confident and feel better equipped to um, incorporate sustainability. And I imagine that's very much true of some university higher education settings where there are some more obvious places for sustainability to live, whether that's science or geography or business, um, economics, um, architecture, um, for example. And there'll be perhaps other um, subjects, other disciplines where it's 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 slightly newer, it's, um, it's needing more resource. I think in relation to sustainability, there are so many resources out there. I think it can be difficult to navigate. Um, but universities um, I will very frequently, if not university, have a sustainability um, kind of network or um, aspect on their website and offer. I know both Kings and UCL do, and that's a very good starting point in terms of engaging with others who are wanting to do that work um uh, i think that would be my the kind of the, the top tip in terms of a starting point um is it is you know finding what's already there within your community and, and wanting to collaborate and build on that because it particularly with sustainability when we're thinking about really what the challenge that we're responding to which is that our you know our future on the planet is is really uncertain in terms of everyone being able to have a healthy and, and productive life if we carry on on the way that we are that work requires collective um, action and collaboration that's sustaining and fulfilling because it can be difficult work at times. And I think that would be the true of the other example that you gave of EDI. You know, we want to be working as part of a, of a, um, a community of practice that supports and challenges us and ensures that we're not stuck in our um, particular perspectives or from drawing only from our um, particular experiences. Because, you know, climate change is such an intersectional issue. It's not just because where you live um, or only your gender or only your race or only the resources that you have at your disposal, all of those different layers um, build up to, you know, create particular affordances and challenges for different groups of people. Um, I'll stop there. I, I could go on forever. <laughs> no, that's it's it's you are completely right. Um, there's there is a. I can. I feel like sometimes it it feels like the small little actions that, that people take they they feel insignificant to the person doing them, but actually when we do it collectively, it does all, all add up. Um, I realise we're a little bit um, we're running a little bit short of time at the moment. So, Emma, I just wanted to ask you um, one more sort of one thing to to, to come back to that with. Um, what is the biggest challenge around that? bringing bringing education and sustainability education uh, up to the standard where we need it to be so we talked a little bit about about the policy sides of it we talked a bit about the the, the risk of something becoming tokenized but what do you think the biggest 
the biggest challenge or the biggest impediment to to improving that education is at the moment? I mean, I just want to go back to what Lizzie was talking about in terms of the communities of practice, because we're at such a kind of pivotal moment now where, you know, we could use what's happening to our world and to our climate and, you know, all the changes that have been happening recently and in, in recent decades here and use it to our advantage and really shift and change the way that we relate to each other in structures like institutions. So there isn't a kind of top-down approach that there is now. And we know that students pay incredibly high fees to um, come to university in this country, for example, and there's lots of literature that talks about the ways that students are constructed as consumers and they're coming to, you know, avail themselves of a product and that the lecturers and the teachers have to make sure that they deliver on this. And as long as those types of relationships are in place, as long as those kind of ways of working are normalized and they are increasingly becoming so in universities and higher education um, institutions, certainly in this country, then we're going to find it a lot harder to, to, to really focus and to, to think about these communities of, of practice and the ways that we can actually all learn from each other. So then it's not just about lecturers and teachers scrambling around, trying to update their reading lists, making sure that they're well-informed, you know, around areas of EDI, sustainability, climate change, climate justice, and all of this, that actually it is a collaborative effort. And it is something that we are all doing together because we all live on the planet together. It's going to affect all of us in so many ways. And as Lizzie said, you know, it is an intersectional issue. It doesn't matter where you are, who you are. Um, it, it's something that we all need to grapple with. And I wonder if um, the best way of doing it, or one of the ways of doing it, is to rethink the way that our structures and our institutions work. Um, so we do break down this kind of hierarchical type of structure and system that we have, and that we do become a community of scholars, a community of researchers, a community of educators, uh, and you know, really embrace this notion of the communities of practice. Um, that's my feeling. I think it's it 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 could it would take an effort, but I truly believe I'm always ever the optimist. I truly believe that we could we could get there and we can use this opportunity perhaps to change the ways that we work and that we relate to each other um, for a better world. <laughs> that was, uh, I mean, we were just talking about slightly dismantling the entire higher education yeah. um, setup. So, so you know, it's a small, a small ask, really. Um, but you're, you're right. I think the last 10, 15 years have seen universities become competitors to each other. They're competing for students, they're competing for things, and there are certain aspects of of what we do and, and what higher education institutions are, are trying to do that, that should kind of transcend that um, and should should rise above that. It's an interesting uh, test of whether or not the 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 capital market or the capitalist markets then starts to reward people who do more. And, you know, as you said, students are becoming more more aware, more active. And actually that that level of sustainability, that level of 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 awareness from an institution might start to become a factor in what people decide to go and do you know we, we've always had the we've always had sort of fringe outlier institutions who are very good on one particular aspect it might be sustainability or it might be edi or whatever it happens to be um 
as this becomes more normalized that sustainability is a thing that we have to consider i mean i don't know I, I, it might be something that we start to see universities competing on which is probably not the right idea we want to be collaborating rather than competing on how sustainable are you um but it's it's certainly something to to, to watch and and that we need we you know we need to take action on um unfortunately we are now out of time. Um, I could sit and talk about this uh, all day with, with you two. It's been a really fascinating conversation and to hear your perspectives on both sort of the education aspect and the sustainability education and uh, and, and everything that we've covered today. Um, so the, the the last thing for me to do is to say um, thank you to, to both of you. So so being joined today by uh, Dr. Emma Towers, who is at uh, King's College London. So thank you, Emma. Thank you very much for having us. Yeah, and thank you also to Dr. Lizzie Rushton, who is at the University College of London. Thank you, Lizzie. Thank you so much, Wes. Brilliant. And that was Blended, and we'll hear you in the next one. <laughs>